Making It Personal with Bishop William Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com. Good morning, Kelly. Good, Good to morning. be with you here on this Feast of the Guardian Angels. Yes. And, uh, I know I put my guardian angels through their paces. My, at least one. I, I don't know if I have more than one. I think I have a nephew, Timothy. Maybe you got signed Timothy a few more. has more than one. But uh, no, and uh, how, you know, times growing up, you look and say, wow, God must have intervened there. Mm. I would not be sitting here today with you. So we continue to ask for protection and consultation in many ways. So lots going on. It was a, a dynamic weekend. My first Christ Our Life yeah. uh, conference, and so participate not only in the masses and everything else. Uh, Sister Miriam James Heidlin, whom we had uh, on the show, uh, she gave a very moving talk. I thought I was personally moved to mm-hmm. deeper reflection and her her great witness, and uh, so many others. Father Don Calloway mm-hmm. and others who were part of that. And uh, you know, I think uh, the numbers of people were uh, uh, using uh, good uh, judgment and things. Excuse me, what was the word there? Social distancing. <laughs> yeah, I, I was I was spiritually. <laughs> Done there, but uh, uh, just thinking about it all. But uh, no, and uh, I think you know the opportunity for sacrament reconciliation again. The lines are long, and uh, many were doing the live stream option too. I was talking That's to right. one yesterday who was doing that from Strawberry Point, Iowa, with her mother, mm, uh, a woman cool. here lives in Dubuque from Member Christ the King Parish. So, so yeah, that was a uh, very dynamic. Lots of times for prayer uh, being afforded us in the month of October, the month of Mary, the month of respect life, our culture of light that we want to advance as well. Our uh, uh, president of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, Archbishop Jose Gomez, has asked the country to join together next Wednesday on the Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary, a national rosary uh, prayer, a virtual rosary for our country. So bishops from different regions, including yours truly, are going to be asked to lead the rosary, and uh, that'll be posted on the U.S. Bishops and the Des Moines Diocese website uh, beginning at 2 p.m. So it's kind of like the whole country could be praying the rosary at the same time. Mm -hmm. 2 p.m. Central uh, is our time here. Here in the Midwest, and uh, but if people can't do it at that time, it'll be available later on. And of course, God, who's beyond all time and space, <laughs> uh, and, and Mary, who you know, crowned in heaven, who uh, you know, is very uh, transcends all all our earthly uh, limits and that. So she'll be praying with us and for us in that way. Also, a, a novena for our farmers. We know this has been some tough years. Just sure. add the derecho on top of the drought, uh, low prices, and all that's going on. So the novena to St. Isidore that was sponsored by our Catholic Rural Life, just ending in recent days here. So mm-hmm. bishops from Iowa, Saginaw, Michigan, uh, Victoria, Texas, and others. And again, I was privileged to join in, mm-hmm. in leading some of those no- novenas, as you know, Kelly, because <laughs> you, right. you, you, you endure uh, <laughs> filming, me, the filming me. Yeah, so you keep me smiling and uh, okay. looking beyond things, so, so I appreciate that. Uh, also, our uh, consciousness of uh, you know what's going on nationally, politically, I don't think I have to tell people, and this can really set us on edge, but we want to be people who are civil in our engagement with people, mm-hmm. ardent in our faith and the values uh, of defending life throughout the whole spectrum of life, beginning with the unborn. Uh, and so we know that how role not only our legislators, but the judiciary holds in that. And so, yes, it's obviously a point of controversy that uh, President Trump has decided to go ahead uh, with uh, nominating a justice, mm-hmm. Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, many are celebrating her as, as a Catholic, but, you know, I think that we have to do due diligence and scrutinize mm-hmm. that because just because someone has a Catholic mm-hmm. baptismal certificate doesn't necessarily mean
mean that uh, they're going to always align with the issues uh, sure. that we would mm-hmm. hold dear. And so I think you know, letting that process unfold. Obviously, our prayers are for all who are affected by COVID, including President Trump and uh, First Lady Melania. That news today. So uh, mm-hmm. you know, we don't wish anyone will ill, but wish them health and healing. Uh, as with so many who are still continuing to to suffer and be battle through that d- disease as well. Now, tell me about this free online global Divine Mercy Summit this weekend. I don't know much about that. Yeah, well, um, yeah, there's a free summit. It's at, I think it's Divine Mercy Summit. Or if you Google Divine Mercy Summit, it starts this weekend. It's um, all weekend. It's free. It's going to be the biggest online conference ever. And, um, yeah, totally free. uh, Obviously, we need a lot of God's mercy right now. Okay, so I mean, there's a cornucopia of prayer opportunities for people, right. so we have no no excuses <laughs> right. not to plug in and to to generate and ask God to shower us with graces. Not simply in our country, but world. But obviously, we feel most acutely, and as uh, uh, proud Americans, and uh, joining that ranks, Father Ambrose Ledoux, who became a U.S. citizen, naturalized citizen in the past month. So we celebrate that. Congratulations, Father mm-hmm. Ambrose, Congratulations. associate pastor, right. and it kind of helps us with our refugee services. So, <laughs> oh, so very good. And then one more shout out to St. Francis School and St. Francis of Assisi right. in West Des Moines. <laughs> Yeah, cueing me as always, Kelly. Thank you. But uh, big deal, the, the National Blue Ribbon School, that they received that award. Uh, one of six schools and the only private school in the state of Iowa. So that's a, that's a tremendous accomplishment. That is. We're going to take a quick break and return. We'll welcome Loris College President Jim Collins. You're listening to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio and the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. Thank you, Blessment International, for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Everyone lives their life 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. How we use that time directly affects if our life will leave a significant impact or not. Each year, Blessment International leads Central Iowans on a 12-day, all-inclusive experience sharing the heart of Christ with children in South Africa. Teams are forming to do something significant in an African child's life. Learn more at BlessmanInternational.org. That's BlessmanInternational.org. Is it time for a new roof? Then it could be time for you to get to know Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company entering its 30th year of business. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. Welcome back. I'm Kelly Mesher-Collins with the Diocese of Des Moines. On today's show, we're visiting with Jim Collins, president of Loris College in Dubuque, where Bishop Johnson also taught for many years. On today's show, we'll talk about the Catholic College and recent news that came to light about its founder, Bishop Matthias Loris. President Collins, good morning. It's good to be with you. Good morning, Bishop Johnson. Good to hear your voice and hope you're doing well. Yeah, so, and, uh, yeah. So those Friday mornings when we sometimes had meetings in your office and everything else, and it wasn't like I was getting called into the president's office, but <laughs> consulting about all things Catholic identity and mission and that as well. But uh, you've uh, occupied that uh, post at Loris, is it, am I, is my count right, for 18 years? Or do we have that right? Just a little high. So I'm usually the guy that exaggerates. But, uh, <laughs> you can say that about yourself. <laughs> That's right. Uh, this is uh, year 17 as president and uh, year 37 and serving the college. Oh, that's tremendous. And uh, 
you know, it's uh, it's not like, well, uh, Loris has been stuck with you. I mean, they've been privileged to retain you in that role. Uh, but why why invest your whole being, your whole commitment to, the, to Loris College for that duration? Well, you know, I graduated in 1984, and I had a, a very, very good experience. Uh, I was very introverted. I was the oldest of six uh, kids coming from the Chicago area. And uh, Loris changed my life. Um, my faith enhanced. Uh, I found a new set of confidence in my abilities, both from an academic and a co-curricular uh, perspective. So it really started with having a great student experience. But my intent was to go back to the Chicago area and uh, be a banker since I had a finance degree. But um, good people at the college uh, evidently saw a thing or two in me that I didn't see. And uh, I was presented with one opportunity after another. And um, would have never envisioned this, but uh, it's been a great opportunity to watch students have a very comparable experience to what I've had. So it's um, been a, a joyful blessing. I, th I think one of the things that I would comment to, to others, you know, as I witnessed how you uh, exercised the role of president, you were certainly not just a kind of a detached administrator, but uh, not only personally engaged with the students, but bringing your faith to bear. Uh, I didn't feel any rivalry sometimes calling you like the pastor of, of Loris College because your, your faith was, was so evident and kind of guiding so that you weren't, yes, as with the finance background, you could crunch the numbers but uh, always seen with the perspective of that larger values and ultimately our mission to the kingdom of God. You were all at one point asked to chair the Association of Catholic Colleges and Universities in the U.S., among other types of leadership posts beyond the, beyond the campus. Can you talk a little bit about that perspective and how that maybe uh, gave you an appreciation for the, you know, what's going, what is similar or what might be diverse even among Catholic colleges? Sure. Uh, well, one of the great privileges I've had among many uh, in my position at Loris is uh, to have been elected to the board of the Association of Catholic Colleges and Universities and then to have been elected onto its executive committee to serve as um, treasurer and then ultimately as uh, chair of the association. But uh, Catholic higher education is comprised of 230 very diverse institutions throughout the United States, from big to small to diocesan to Jesuit, but um, one of the things that I was really impressed by was the deep commitment that presidents had to ensure that um, Catholic identity um, flourished and was em embraced in uh, all sorts of ways. Now, how institutions, um, from big to small to um, affiliated with one uh, order or diocesan, all carry that out very differently, but one of the things I learned is that uh, Loris's way of um, embracing and invoking Catholic identity, I think, was among the best. I happen to be a little bit biased, but much of our success, I think, came uh, about because we have dedicated folks like you and your leadership while you were here at Loris, but also faculty who really want to embrace the totality of uh, Catholic identity from moral, intellectual to social tradition. Um, so I learned an awful lot, but uh, among the things I gained was a new appreciation for the way in which Loris did things. And then along those lines, serving on the Board of Regents at Seton Hall has been a great gift where hopefully I bring a little something to the table for Seton Hall, but it's also been good to see how um, they've had great success and for us here at Loris to be able to borrow some of the ideas and good initiatives that they've done has been a, a great gift too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And your mention of Seton Hall, we commend to God Archbishop John Myers, who passed away and was buried this past week back in his native diocese of Peoria, but a, a Loris grad who still had a fond place in his heart as well. So Archbishop Myers was chancellor as Archbishop of Newark of, of Seton Hall, and you 
uh, brought him to campus on, on occasion, and uh, so we lift him up to God. Back Amen. here in the state of Iowa, uh, you know, COVID, we don't even need to kind of mention that, but already I think higher education was facing a number of challenges, and COVID just kind of upped the ante in a way. So any thoughts as you've interacted with the other higher edu- private uh, higher education institutions in Iowa and where Loris and how you've kind of strategized and responded and how that's unfolding now that uh, we're into the second month of classes? That's right. So um, Iowa is unique in that uh, per capita, we have the seventh largest representation of private colleges in the state. Um, So when you think three regent universities, 15 community colleges, and then 30 private colleges, um, one of the things I would say is I think that we're a pretty cohesive and collaborative group. I think second is all of us uh, face comparable challenges, and while we compete, we also try to be united in advocating for the goodness of uh, small private higher education here in the state, and uh, we're grateful for the support that we've received from the state. Um, Enrollment official counts haven't come out yet, so I'm unfamiliar with where everybody landed this year, but at Loris, we consider ourselves blessed. Um, We had budgeted a decline in enrollment of 125 students because we thought that the pandemic would take a big hit, and um, we wound up only being 10 fewer than we were last year, so uh, really a great gift from God. And uh, the academic profile of the student body um, was slightly improved. We had a 3% increase in retention, and uh, right now in fundraising, praise God, we're running almost a million dollars ahead of last year, and last year was a very good year, our fourth best year in history. So um, this doesn't mean that uh, everything is perfect and rosy in the the years ahead, but um, to have kind of uh, weathered COVID up to this point as well as we have, um, we're really grateful. Wow, well, that's remarkable. So I, I hope that it gets, allows you to get some sleep at night as you, oh, I'm with you, as you my ponder friend. these things. So I'm with you. Just to jump over a little bit, uh, with that, with the recruitment, you said the retention is high and everything else. But with the change, and, and so you know, half or more of the student body, I believe, is attracted to Loris in part, the opportunity not only to, to live their faith, but to, to participate in intercollegiate athletics. And obviously that's been postponed. No impact, or how did that influence, do you think, some of the recruitment? Well, I think a couple things that we did is uh, the American Rivers Conference, of which Loris participates, NCAA Division Three. we were one of the very few conferences that right up until the end had planned to operate uh, with a lesser schedule all of our fall sports. But um, the NCAA came in t- late in the summer and rendered some protocols that would have been made it impossible and financially infeasible to have um, the two soccer programs, football and women's volleyball, run. But we're one of the few conferences that um, uh, allowed cross-country, tennis, and golf to go forward. And as we sit here today, they have had uh, no impact by the, the virus, and they've been able to participate. So I think, frankly, our approach actually helped to maximize enrollment because we kept um, – athletics intact, even if it was for practices, but in some cases for competition. Um, so all good news that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And maybe not so good news, as was kind of communicated through various media in the state. Uh, one can't kind of picture the, the campus and stately Kane Hall on the bluff, perched high overlooking the Mississippi River. But adjacent to it is, is now a, a space, I understand, where the statue of Bishop Matthias Loris had been uh, perched for so long, a kind of local legend that he helped uh, all tornadoes to pass by the city of Dubuque <laughs> and not strike the city of Dubuque. But it's, it, it was a much more serious reason. Can you speak about that and, and the process that you engaged? Sure. Uh, as if uh, the summer wasn't long enough with all things COVID, but in uh, early June, I had a, a scholarly researcher approach me and ask for a Zoom meeting because um, he was working on a project unrelated to Loras College or the bishop, um, whereby in pursuing evidence related to um, the historical interconnection of slavery and Catholicism, came upon um, Bishop Loris's ledger and other artifacts. And... Um, shared with me um, lots of new information that was certainly new to me, but as I engaged others, uh, certainly new to them. So I convened a small group of former and current board members um, to help me think through the issues uh, while also alerting board leadership to this new set of revelations. And then um, consulted with our history department to see who among them might be the best to um, review the evidence, provide historical context, and what have you. So those two activities were happening simultaneously, and by early August, our faculty member had provided a pretty robust summary document um, validating the evidence, um, providing a larger historical context, both related to the uh, bishop, but also the times. And then we convened our board twice um, to determine, based on all of this information, how we might best proceed. And... Um, it was very difficult. It was very painful. These are um, men and women of very good will, deep care for Loris, very strong and devout Catholics. But the thought was that it would be best to remove the statue, place it in storage, so that in the months ahead there can be greater reflection and pause given to how we might have that statue um, represented on campus or off. Uh, in the years ahead, largely because, as you point out, um, where the statue was previously situated was prime real estate, not just on the Loris campus, but in, in Dubuque. And so, Could I just inject, President Collins? So yeah. just as you mentioned the evidence, I just want to make it explicit for our listeners what was uh, unearthed in the research of the historian down in the Mobile, Alabama area where Bishop Loris had immigrated as a priest from uh, Lyon, France, and was affiliated with Spring Hill College, I believe, in Mobile. That's right. And, uh, but at the same time, and this was common knowledge, he did have a possession or a title of, of a slave woman, I think by the name of Louise Marie. Is that correct? Marie Louise, yes. Marie Louise. Excuse me. I sorry. I oh, invert those. Okay. Marie Louise, and uh, I think that would have been something that was included in any kind of popular account of Bishop Loris. But that it was kind of thought that once he was named bishop and migrated up uh, the Mississippi River, uh, that he had kind of uh, you know uh, uh, released her, uh, you know, to uh, to freedom. But that was not the case. Is that right? That's right. And I think that's the the, the key component is that the uh, the bishop came to. Um, the Iowa region around 1837 had purchased Marie Louise for $800 in 1836 while he was in Alabama. But then in coming up to Iowa, what we learned with this evidence was that he continued to be um, the slave owner for 16 years, 
selling uh, Marie Louise in 1852, and through the ledger, it was very clear that the financial transactions back and forth with individuals down in Alabama were, were clearly being used to advance his ministries here while simultaneously retain Marie Louise as a slave. And there was even a letter in the ledger and documentation in the ledger that um, uh, advanced very clearly that um, he indicated that he would um, give her freedom for $250. Um, so there, there was a, a lot of evidence that really was troubling. And again, the, the issue here is not to condemn the bishop or even to um, uh, fail to forgive, but to more call into question should that statue serve as symbol based on who we are and where we're going, um, given this, this evidence. And um, so the board painfully determined that the removal was um, best. So it was. This was more of a kind of internal awareness that had yet to be communicated beyond the kind of inter, internal circle of the board and others. Or were there people who were already kind of uh, tilting at that statue, uh, kind of uh, uh, you know, rallying people to, to topple it? Or this is something that the college, under your leadership, took the initiative. Yeah, we took the initiative. There was no um, external. Um, influence with regard to the larger political or racial environment or any of the um, politics on one side or the other dictating this. This was really an internal conversation that um, I think what happened is when we released the news, it was such a shock to so many because um, if anyone had knowledge of the bishop having been a slave owner, it was from the naive perspective that you had shared earlier, um, but that there were also a lot of people that had no idea at all. Um, so again, I, I really give the board credit because it was a, a painful series of discussions, but it was truly a reflective and thorough and um, thoughtful uh, series of decisions that they rendered to include the, the bishop. And uh, the name change was one of the other things that uh, had been come up, but one of the things we did over the summer was researched how other institutions had handled their respective issues, and one of the more recent uh, declarations was at Rutgers University, where the, the president there said there wasn't going to be an, a name change because how the institution has evolved over the years is has less to do with the man and more about the brand of who they are, and uh, we here at Loris felt that very strongly, that our vision mission and values aligned with Loris have so much more to do with the modern-day way in which we approach things versus um, what might have been the issues of almost two centuries ago. Well, I, I commend you for the mature way and the, and the transparency, you know, that the truth, as Catholics we believe, ultimately will set us free uh, and that we have to acknowledge this kind of painful part of the history that obviously impacted not only the church in northeast Iowa, but as Dubuque was the founding diocese through which all the other dioceses in the province were, were founded. Uh, and so in a, in a racially charged summer, that this is one more thing that saddens us, may anger us, but ultimately, I think, can, can liberate us as we take ownership of this. So, President Collins, would you indulge us by staying after the break for a few minutes? I'd be happy to, Bishop Thank you. Johnson. Thank okay. you. We're going to take a quick break. Thank you, Blessment International, for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Everyone lives their life 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. How we use that time directly affects if our life will leave a significant impact or not. 
Each year, Blessment International leads Central Iowans on a 12-day, all-inclusive experience sharing the heart of Christ with children in South Africa. Teams are forming to do something significant in an African child's life. Learn more at BlessmanInternational.org. That's BlessmanInternational.org. Is it time for a new roof? Then it could be time for you to get to know Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company entering its 30th year of business. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. Welcome back. I'm Kelly Mesher Collins with the Diocese of Des Moines. We're back with Jim Collins, president of Loris College in Dubuque. President Collins, thanks again for remaining with us. I know you're a man on the move usually. <laughs> no, no, life is good. It's a pleasure to be back yeah. with you, Bishop. Yeah. So the name remains, and there are some other initiatives, I understand, uh, kind of recognizing one of the first African-American priests ordained in the United States who has some Loris bloodlines. Is that correct? That's right. Father Norman Duquette was... Uh, uh, a black student who was looking for a Catholic college coming out of uh, Detroit, Michigan area, and he um, was rejected by several uh, colleges and seminaries by virtue of him being black, and the first place that accepted him into the seminary and into college uh, was Loris College. And so he went on to graduate and uh, became the, uh, the fifth ordained Catholic priest who was black in the United States. Um, and he went on to lead an exemplary life. In fact, he was up for canonization for sainthood. Uh, Loris actually awarded him an honorary degree in the 1970s. He passed away in 1980, and we thought it would be fitting under the circumstances to designate a scholarship uh, in his name. He was also Loris's first um, black graduate uh, in 1932. 1932, tremendous. Mm-hmm. So, very good. Uh, we think about the the seminary program at Loris. Des Moines has had, uh, um, uh, over the years, generationally, uh, uh, men from the Des Moines Diocese who were their formation there. And I can recall, you know, this past Sunday was my first anniversary of being ordained. Congratulations. We miss you a lot, but we're proud of you. <laughs> well, uh, I, you know, the Des Moines people may say, well, you can have him back. I don't uh, well, I welcome that, but I know that's not what they're saying. Um, but, you know, that relationship, and there were 20 alums or more who got up for a photo op at the luncheon prior to the ordination, you know, priests and, and lay folks as well. Can you just talk about, uh, you know, the relationship, Dubuque, Des Moines, and, and how the, the seminary program fits into the profile of a liberal arts college that's co-ed? Sure. Well, um, first of all, we're grateful for the partnership with the Des Moines Diocese, both prior to your tenure as its ordinary, but uh, certainly now where you've continued to take an active role, and we're grateful for that. Um, the 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 Des Moines area, uh, writ large, has about 500-plus Loris alumni, many of whom are priests. In fact, I just sent a, uh, a celebratory note to Monsignor Bagnano for his uh, priestly ordina- ordination. Um, so we've, we've really prided ourselves in having that great connection and then more to the point with the diocese. Um, this year we have uh, 21 men in the seminary, three from the Des Moines diocese, and we have a number of others uh, in major seminary at Mundelein. Um, but I, I think the key aspect about having the seminary program continuing to be housed at Loris and in affiliation um, with the Archdiocese of Dubuque 
is really important because um, that was our founding, that was our roots as a seminary, and to be able to continue um, training and helping to educate uh, future priests is really something that we find as a core of our mission. I think the second thing I would say is that um, now more than ever, not just for seminarians but for students uh, uh, at, at large, um, having that interdisciplinary liberal arts play is really critical. So while it's fine to learn great disciplines like philosophy and theology, it's also important we'll have that... have a moment of silence for philosophy. <laughs> I thought you. you might like that. <laughs> I did say philosophy. You're just serving it up to me, man. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. But no one discipline uh, can be well understood and then well articulated um, from a critical thinking standpoint without understanding history, without understanding economics, without understanding English, without taking uh, politics courses. And I think that um, seminarians who have that interdisciplinary play not only will lead better and serve better and discern better, but I also think that at a moment when we have to... um, provide readings of scripture and then um, present homilies, I think having that well-rounded backdrop uh, befits a really strong seminary program, and I think that in many ways is the reason why we've had success over the years, and you've been a big part of that. Yeah, no, I think you're right. That We're interested in all things human, and, and when a priest has that formation of liberal arts, he can go there in ways that doesn't always have to be strictly, you know, within the rubric of, 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 of you know, the, the scriptures, you know, jumps off. Thank you so much for this time. We're going to have to wind it down. Say hi to my former uh, workout partner, your wife, Lisa, who was working <laughs> with Martha Doyle in the mornings there. There so, you go. Appreciate you it. Go. God's blessing to you and all your family. You too, Bishop Johnson. Take good care. God bless. This has been another edition of Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. Thank you to our less and listeners. You can hear Making It Personal with Bishop William Johnson every week on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com.